Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Karis, for beautiful reading of the Word of God and for lighting our Advent candles. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning and we'll get started. God, thank you so much um, just for this Advent season that we're in right now. And we just uh, just pray that you would teach us from your Word today about love. Um, we pray that, that we would be able to learn from your word and uh, that you would give me the words to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so this morning, whoa, I just got really loud. That's okay. This morning um, was one of those like, kind of weird mornings for me. Uh, normally, if I preach or speak, I will never eat that morning. Like, I, I just don't eat. Um, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one, just, you know, going to be honest with you, kind of worried that I'm going to eat something. I'm going to get up on stage. I'm going to be in the middle of my sermon. And it's just going to start fighting back, you know. It's going to hit. And I'm going to be like, oh, God, you know. And so, like, I, I don't eat for that one reason, you know. But then the second reason, I don't want to spill something on me, you know. And then I get up there, and I got, like, a mustard stain or something. And everyone's just looking at that the whole time instead of looking at me. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's an insecurity. It, it totally is. And this morning, I was really hungry. I was like, I got to have some food. And I said, hey, Nicole, you want to stop at the Sonic real quick before we, we get there? They actually have good breakfast. I don't know if you guys have had their breakfast. But anyways, I got my, my normal go-to Sonic order, which is a burrito, right? So I get my little burrito. And Nicole got the French toast sticks, okay? And I was like, oh, that sounds good. And Nicole does not like syrup. She, she doesn't put it on anything. So they got these little syrup packets with it. And I was like, I only wanted one. I was like, I'm going to open up the syrup, and I'm going to eat, eat this, this French toast stick. And I, I'm holding it, and I, I, I dip the French toast stick in there, and I eat it. And all of a sudden, I just feel my worst fear happening. There's one little drip of syrup right here. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And as I'm reaching for the napkin to wipe this up and to try to like salvage this one little spot, I tilt the French toast or the syrup the opposite way and it just goes everywhere, all over. And my whole shirt is covered in syrup and like, oh my gosh, it was so bad. And so I'm literally thinking like, Nicole, we might, we might have to turn around and go home and get another shirt. Like, this is bad. Yeah, like, what am I going to do? And so she actually had to go to work this morning. Uh, she was on call this weekend, and she had to run into work literally for like 15 minutes. And so she left to go do that. And she was, I was like, I'm going to go inside. I'm going to see if I can get it cleaned up. And then I'll text you if I need you to go get me another shirt. <laughs> and so I came inside, and I was like covered in syrup. And I went to the bathroom and just like doused my shirt in water and started just like, you know, like scrubbing this syrup out of there. So I, I still smell like syrup, but I think it's pretty much gone. Um, if, you, if you see it there, then just ignore that. Don't, don't worry about it. But I come walking in here, and I'm like, got this big water spot, like, <laughs> over my entire shirt. I'm, all, I'm already self-conscious, you know, and, and, then, and then I get bombarded with, you're speaking this morning? There's this, there's a certain person here who might have a New York accent. Like, oh, you're speaking of love this morning? Don't screw it up, you know? Like, 
All, all right, all right. I'll try my best not to, you know. So, um, and then actually William, uh, he said to me as well, he was like, I want you to know there's a lot of people at this church who are very surprised that Josh gave up this sermon to you. <laughs> and I'm like, man, the pressure is on. The pressure is on for me this morning. Um, so as if you guys haven't figured out already, we are talking about love. Um, so we are, yeah, you know, apparently not towards me this morning, but we're talking about love today. We're in the, we're in the coming up to the end of the Advent season. Christmas is Saturday. It's less than a week away, y'all. Like how crazy is that? I feel like this, this year has flown by and, but we're here in this Advent season. We talked already about hope. We've talked about peace. Um, we've talked about joy last week with the, the Christmas play. How awesome was that? That was so amazing. I had a, a great time watching um, everyone participate, but specifically the young people. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm the youth pastor here, so uh, that like I'm proud of my kids. You know, I'm proud of proud of my, my young people, my my sixth to twelfth graders, and even the ones younger. You know, I just I look at them and I, like my heart just like has so much like joy and seeing their faces and like this morning, Karis reading you know scripture and 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 starting this off today. Um, just, just proud of, of, of my kids. Uh, Nicole and I always say we don't, we don't have any, any kids yet of our own, but we have like 13 kids, you know, that's what we always say. We just, we love, we love them so much and it just fills me with so much joy. But today we're talking about love and, um, I, Josh and I were joking this morning. You can't really get into a sermon about love without reading like the quintessential love passage in the Bible, which is 1 Corinthians 13. It's going to be on the screens for you guys. Um, so just read along with me. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And this is the, the passage just read at, at uh, weddings all the time. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And I wanted to start with this passage 
And spoiler alert, I'm ending with this passage. I'm pulling a Quentin Tarantino, if you've ever watched his movies. I'm starting with the beginning or the end at the very beginning. And we're going to come back to this passage actually a couple times throughout the, the message. Um, it's just a great passage on love. There's so many nuggets in here, uh, so many truths of what love is and what love is not. I mean, starting with verse 4, it's patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. So it's already two things that we know love is, two things we know love is not. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It just goes into this whole list of what love looks like. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it says it's not self-seeking. It's not easily anchored. It keeps no record of wrongs. And I told Nicole that I was going to talk about this today, so she knows. Um, but last night, we were on our way home. from. We had a Christmas gathering of my family up in Reedsville, North Carolina. And so we're coming back down. Like our, My family lives in Greensboro. So we're coming back from that area on 40. Well, there's this one particular stop. Uh, I don't know if you guys know where like the Tanger outlets are, Tang Tanger or whatever you want to call them. You know, uh, everybody everybody pronounces that differently, Tanger or Tanger. Anyways, right where those outlets are, there's just sheets there, right? And so every time, every time we pass this sheets on the way home from Greensboro, Nicole looks over at me and she goes, "Hey." Remember that time you lost my credit card there? <laughs> and, and there was this one time, right when we were dating, like at the beginning of our relationship, I, uh, I pumped gas for her. I got her, her sheets, little sheets card. We get the discount and then her, her credit card and put it in, pumped the gas. And I think I went to go put it in my pocket and both of them just fell straight to the ground and I didn't notice and we were kind of in a hurry. So I pumped the gas, get back in the car, and then, luckily, she goes, like, hey, uh, can you hand me my card? And I, like, reach in my pocket, and I'm like, oh, no, it's not there. So we, like, we, like turned around on the next exit, came back, went to the pump, and it's sitting right there on the ground next to the pump. I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, I didn't lose her card. And this is right when we're first dating, so it's like we're not married or anything. Like, I don't want to, like, like, I'm going to mess this thing up. She's going to be mad at me for losing her card. But... Even so, to this day, like four years later, she still always <laughs> has to point out that this is the sheets that you lost my credit card at one time four years ago. Uh, so love keeps no records of wrongs. Um, <laughs> just remember that. Remember that. Um, that's, a, that's a funny joke. Obviously, Nicole does not keep a record of my wrongs. Thank God she doesn't because she would have to keep them on a little list in her pocket all the time. And, that would get awkward. Um, but hey, today, <laughs> that's right. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, four facts about love in the Bible. Um, we're we're going to get into these. There's, there, Josh was kind of worried this morning because he saw there was 35 slides. Like It's a lot, right? It's mostly just scripture that we're just going to read through. So just bear with me here. The first fact about love in the Bible, when I started looking up, Love and, and scriptures about love. Love is the most important of all the virtues. Some of these are going to sound a little controversial at first. This one should not sound controversial to you at all. Love is the most important of all the virtues. We just read 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Pretty clear 
that there's a lot of great virtues listed in the Bible, but the greatest is love. <clears throat> Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humil- humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So overall, over all the virtues, put on love. It's the most important. It's kind of a theme in the Bible. Mark 12, 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. This is Jesus was, was debating with some other religious leaders of that era, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus himself is telling us that there's nothing higher, no greater command, no greater virtue than love. Pretty simple and pretty easy and pretty straightforward. Like, honestly, you should, you should definitely not get confused by that. That's pretty easy. The second thing that I learned when I was reading about love is that love is the opposite or sorry, the opposite of sin is love, okay? That sounds, you're like, whoa, what? That's a little bit, a little bit different. What I want to say is this. A lot of people would think that the opposite of sin is good works. So you do bad things, you do good things. They're kind of opposites. Or maybe you would think that the opposite of sin is just like good behavior, right? Like maybe you don't do those bad things, and that's the opposite of sin. But no, Scripture makes it pretty clear. The opposite of sin is love. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Romans 13.8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Simple, easy. Galatians 5.22-23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Romans 13, 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Clear theme here is that when you love someone, you are fulfilling what the law says in Scripture, right? Like, it's really hard to sin when you are actively showing someone love. Like, if you're showing them love, it's really, really hard to do that person wrong. And so the Bible's pretty clear here that the fulfillment of the law is to love. I would venture to say that when you sin, You can check into your heart and into your motives. And at least in that moment, you're acting outside of love. Pretty, I mean, it's a pretty clear understanding there based on scripture. If you come from a Catholic background, 
um, and I know there's people in this room who probably have, you may have heard the theology that this is sort of a balancing act between our wrongs and our rights, right? Like, you know, you do some bad things, you do some good things. Hopefully, you've done enough good things to outweigh the bad things. Um, and, that, and that's kind of an understanding of the relationship between sin and good works. Um, and, you know, honestly, I'm glad that's not the case because I hate to burst your bubble. Maybe not for you, but for me, if I was being judged off my good works versus my, uh, my sins, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't see myself having, having pretty good favorable uh, <laughs> um, outcome with that one. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a bad person, y'all, like I am. I, I try my best to love people, but, man, I mess up so many times. And uh, I'm glad that God is not measuring me based off of my good works versus my, uh, my wrongs. Uh, and then if you come from a like, more fundamentalist, conservative background like I do, I grew up in that background. And if you came up in that background, you may have developed a theology that looks at it more like, you know, the opposite of sin is what you don't do, right? Like, I grew up in this environment that, like, you know, good little, look at little Christian boys and girls, they, they don't do this, they don't do that, they don't do that. And, like, I learned that, like, okay, well, here's, here's what I can't do, and if I don't do these things, great, good job, you're a good, you're a good Christian. Um, I think also they, they look at it and they say, uh, you know, like, like so what, it's, it's really, in other words, it's more what you abstain from rather than what you did for good or anything to do about your virtues, your love, the way you treat people. That wasn't important. It was like, did you, like, what's the, what's the phrase? It's like, uh, like, good boys don't, you know, smoke, chew, or drink or chew, or run with girls that do, you know? That was, that was basically... <laughs> That was, it's, it's, a, it's an old saying. It's an old, old, old saying. But it's like this idea that, like, you don't do these things. You're a good little Christian boy or girl, right? Um, I, you know what? Like, I don't know. And this is the South. There's, there's probably still some girls that do that. But you know what? Hey, like, just, like, if you just don't run with those people and you'll, you'll, be, you'll be fine, right? But the bottom line here is, uh, is there's a, a really big must misunderstanding about sin in our culture. Uh, whether you're from that Catholic background, whether you're from that fundamentalist Protestant Christian background, I think we really understand misunderstand what sin is. So we hear that phrase being thrown around a lot, God hates sin, right? And that is very true. Like God does hate sin. But what I want to make very clear right now in this moment is God doesn't hate our sin. He doesn't hate my sin because he looks at it and he's like, that's filthy and that's horrible and I told you not to do that and I hate you for it. That's not what God's attitude is towards it. God looks at your sin and he sees you acting outside of love, right? And when he sees that happening, it hurts him because he knows that that is going to do nothing but put space between you and him. It's going to do nothing but separate you from God when you sin because you are choosing to act outside of love when you choose to sin. And that's kind of within our nature. Like, we have a sin nature, right? So it's like, it's hard for us to practice this idea of putting love on. Like, like the Bible says, put, put on love. But above all, put on love. It's, a, it's an act. So Josh talks a lot about this, and this is something we've, it's kind of been a theme over the last year, year and a half in this church, is cultivating joy, right? It's like the culture tells us that you can choose joy, 
you can't just choose joy. Like, it's not, you just don't wake up one day and be like, I'm going to choose joy today. It's like, if you do that, you're going to fail, right? It's the act of cultivating it, practicing it over and over and over again. And it's the same thing when it comes to love. We have to practice constantly in this moment. Am I going to choose love or am I going to choose something that's going to lead me towards probably sin, right? Um, I think about like, hey, on the way here today, when that idiot pulled out in front of me and I called him an idiot, right? In that moment, I chose to call him an idiot instead of choosing to love them, right? That's me. Like, I'm, I'm telling you guys, right? I'm, I'm like, I'm being hard on myself right now. This message right now is for me. Like, everything that we do, every time that we have a chance to respond to someone, we can choose to respond to love or we can choose to respond the opposite way. And the opposite way is what leads you towards sin. So that's my point. The opposite of sin is love. The next point that I learned when just looking into scriptures on love is that God is love. Like, that sounds perfect. It sounds beautiful, right? It also kind of sounds maybe a little bit hippie, right? You know, like, God is love, you know? Like, or maybe you've heard, like, I don't know, uh, famous musicians, famous, famous actors, they'll say that phrase, like, God is love. Like, don't judge. God is love, right? And here's the thing, like, it's, it's one of those things where, where we, might, we might judge people when they say that, right? Maybe like, well, God is love, yeah, you're right, but like, there's more to that. You know, we start, we start to like throw out our own thoughts on it. And, I mean, you guys have even heard the whole God is love thing. It's, it, a lot of people use that towards the argument for a universal approach to salvation, right? Like, everyone gets saved because God is love, you know? And the bottom line is this. There's a lot in that phrase, God is love. But that phrase is so true. He absolutely is love. And when we love our families, we are loving God, right? When you love your friends, you are loving God. When we love our brothers and our sisters in Christ, we're loving God. When we love our neighbors, the people that live in our community, not just the people who live on your street, but like everyone that lives in Holly Springs, everyone that lives in the, the greater Raleigh area, when you love them, you're loving God. And when we don't love people, when we love people that don't look, think, or act like us, we're loving God. It takes it even a step further. When we love our enemies, we're loving God. The people who are against us, the people that don't want us to succeed, we're loving God. Anytime we choose to love people, we are honoring God. And uh, we're going to read a passage, 1 John 4, 7 through 21, and it just wraps this all up for us. So I'm going to read this. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that, we, that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, has, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love, or lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I love this passage. It says, whoever lives in love lives in God. When we make that decision to choose to love someone instead of judging someone, to choose to love someone instead of trying to correct them, then we are loving God in that moment. Now, what I will say is this. You do have the right to speak truth into someone's life. Uh, like Paul actually even says in another passage, speaking truth in love. He says that in Ephesians. And I think that it's important for us to speak truth in love. But if you read that passage, what Paul's referring to are the people you already have a relationship with. The people that you're close with, you earn that right to speak truth in their life. It, you don't have to go around and be like, hey, you, you're doing this. You're a sinner. But God loves you right? Like, what good are we doing right there? They're not going to, like, guys, like, no kidding. There are people, I've been doing youth ministry a long time, right? There are, are students that have straight up told me in my, in my 15 years of doing student ministry, I don't want to go to church. You know why? Because I feel judged when I go there. Like, I feel judged. Like, I just want people to love me. And here's the deal. Like, when you develop that relationship with them, they'll listen to you if you tell them what scripture says. But if you don't know them, if you don't have that relationship with them, all you're doing is pushing them away. All you're doing is pushing them away. God is love. And I don't say that in this like hippie, happy, little, beautiful way. I say it in this way that's like when you love people, you love God. You show God how much you love him in the way that you love people. And, that's, and that is a truth from the Bible. It's not this fun little thing that we can say to try to sound politically correct or to try to to try to sound like, you know, we're, we're woke, right? Like it's like, no, God loves people and we should too. God is love. The last thing that I've, I've noticed, and there's a lot more, so many more truths about love. But for me, the last one that I noticed when I was studying this was our highest calling as Christians is to love all people, all people. That's a hard one because I know for me, there are people I don't want to love, you know? I was talking about the, the guy driving here that I think is an idiot, right? It's like, but, but I, yeah, it's like I want to, it's like I, wanna, I want them to know that what they did was wrong, you know? But like, but hey, you know what? Like, I need to just learn to love them, even though I don't disagree, uh, disagree with the way that they were driving. <laughs> it, why do I have to point that out to them? Why can't I just tell them I love you? Then if I get to know them, I can tell them, hey, you know what, like, maybe when you drive, it's not good to cruise in the left lane, you know, it's, that's a passing lane, you know, like, but like, for me to do that right off, the, if I say that to them the first time I meet them, guess what, like, 
they're immediately going to check me out. They're going to be like, yeah, this dude, forget him. Like, he's a jerk. You know, like, like why? Like, I can't say that to them and then say, but I love you. Like, love does not have a but in it, right? I love you, but. I know it sounds funny, right? Tabby's over there laughing at me. Love doesn't have any buts, right? (laughs) Hey, he said but. He said but. You know, but... Um, <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna, I want to read some scriptures that goes with this statement. Our highest calling as Christians is to love all people. Like I said, I have a lot of slides, but it's just a lot of scriptures, y'all. Uh, Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 1 Corinthians 16.14, Do everything in love. John 15.9-12, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that joy may be in, your, in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I think that Leah read that scripture last week about joy, but it also talks about love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 1 John 4, 19-21, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has not given, or and he has given this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Luke 6, 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is, the, he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's kind of a tough one. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And this is a different version of that passage from Mark we heard earlier. It's from Matthew's perspective. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in these passages that I just read, I just read like six of them, we're commanded to love one another, right? Meaning that you love your family, you love your people from your church, you love your friends, but that's kind of easy, right? Like, I mean, I know, I know it's hard sometimes to love like your, your people you live with in your house, they can get on your nerves, but like, it, it, and, and no matter what, a switch flips and you're just like, if they, if they are hurt, right, or if, if, if they, like they have an injury, they get sick, you, you can be mad at them, and immediately you can flip that switch and start caring for them and loving for them because they're your family, right? And people in your church, your friends, they're kind of the same way. You can get mad at them from time to time, but ultimately they're your friends. Like they're your church family. They're easy to love. But Scripture doesn't just leave it at that. Love your friends, love your family. Love your church family. Uh, it even takes it a step further. It tells us to love the people 
that disagree with us the most. Love our enemies. It says to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think like a lot of us probably read that as like, oh, I love the people who live on my street, you know? I'll love them, right? It's hard to love someone if you don't know their last name, you know? It's hard to love someone if you don't know at least three or four facts about them. So you might know that you have a, a Muslim neighbor, right? But like, what do you actually know about them? Like, what do you actually, have you actually developed a relationship with them? Have you actually done things to actually show them that you love them and care for them? Like, what have you done with that relationship? You can't say you love someone just because you know their name, right? Like, I think, I think at the end of the day, um, there's two types of love your neighbor. There's love the people that are around you that you see on a daily basis. Like, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's an na- actual neighbor that lives in your neighborhood. But I think also it's like I said before, it's loving those people that live in our community, the people that live in Holly Springs, the people that live in the Raleigh area. Learning to love those people is hard. It is hard. And I think as Christians, we have, we have this set of morals that we carry around with us, that we, we read the Bible and we believe certain truths based off the Bible, but not everyone believes that way. Not everyone believes that way. And like, honestly, guys, like the Bible doesn't say, Love your neighbor as yourselves as long as they agree with everything written in this book. And here's the thing, too. Christians, we have, like, hundreds, thousands of denominations, right? We can't even agree with each other about what's written in this book, (laughs) right? You know? And so how can we expect people who don't believe in Jesus to agree with our view on life, with our view on morals? Like, I think this way. Therefore, I think that everyone should think the way that I do. And that's not going to happen, y'all. Like, love people because they are God, right? Love them for that reason and that reason only. It doesn't say love your neighbor as yourself unless they're gay. And I mean, you guys are kind of like, whoa, or like what? But there are people who literally would do that. Love your neighbor as yourself unless they're a Democrat, unless they're a Republican, Let's have a different view on politics than me. Or love yourself unless they're a different race from you. Right? I think there's a lot of lot of people who probably wouldn't admit it, but they may be guilty of that as well. And I think uh, I think if we're honest, the church, like I say the big C church, I don't mean this church, I mean like just the church in general, has had kind of a bad history with loving the minority and the marginalized. We do not do a good job of that. I think this particular church does a pretty good job with that, but I think that there's always room for improvement. And I think that this church can be one of the churches that starts to change that reputation that the church has, right? Like, it, like there's something we can do to change that narrative, to start loving people just because they're a child of God, to love them for who they are, and to not feel that we have to point out their wrongs immediately. There's also a couple of things of the past few years that I've learned about loving people that are different from me or people that might have a different opinion than me, a different worldview from me. I'm going to throw those up on the screen. One, you can disagree with someone on major issues and still love them. Two, I don't always need to voice my opinion on these issues. 
Right? Amen. Facebook, that's all you got to say. Facebook, I, I, side note, I have never, ever heard anyone say, you know, I didn't really know what I, where I stood on this issue, this political issue, and then I, uh, I, don't know, I saw this guy's Facebook status, and then we started debating back and forth, and now I believe like he does. Like, never in my life have I heard, ever heard anyone be convinced of something by a Facebook status. I'm just saying that. Three, God, God's love doesn't have conditions. So why should mine? Why should mine? You can disagree with someone, and that's fine. You can still love them. There's lots of things that I disagree with Josh about, or Leah about, or, or even my own wife, Nicole. We disagree on things, but we still love each other, right? It's okay. That's completely okay. And then two, like, don't always feel like you have to first point out your opinion. And, and don't feel like if you don't point out your opinion that you're like, somehow not like doing what God wants you to do, okay? I know a lot of people who are like, oh, but if I don't tell them that like, <laughs> he's, I mean, he's living with his girlfriend. If I don't tell them that, like, then I'm, I'm just like being disobedient to God. No, you're not. Love them, love them, love them, love them. And then once you earn that right to tell them how you feel about scripture, then tell them. But wait for that moment. Don't make that the first thing you say to them. They're not going to feel loved, I can tell you that right now. And even when you do tell them what you feel about that, do it in love. <laughs> like, do it in love. Don't do it with a judgmental heart. Um, and the three, like I said, God's love doesn't have conditions. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us so much. So why should my love have condi- con- um, conditions? Romans 8, 37 through 39 backs that up. It says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He loves us no matter what. Even if, we, even if someone believes something different than you do, it might be a very scriptural thing. God still loves them. And you should too. And you should too. And I got to tell you right now, like, this is something I'm, I'm sitting here. You're probably like, man, he's just beating me up. He's, he's making me feel bad. I don't like this. Guys, this is me. This is me too. Like, I, I need to work on this. I think we all need to work on the way that we love people. Like, there, there's so much room for improvement. And when we get to the point where we think we don't have room for improvement, that's a scary place to be, right? Because we all have room to work on the way we love people. And I've come a long way over the past few years of my life. I think I, I used to be a much different person. There's a couple people sitting in this room right now that would know that. My wife, JP, back there on the back row. Like, JP and I have been friends for, what, like 12 years, something like that, 13 years. Like we've known each other for a long time. And he's seen probably some drastic changes in me over the years. And it's because... I've slowly started to work on this, this issue, like not letting myself get as quick to have a temper, right? And, and, and working on choosing to love someone instead of getting mad at them. And even so, even though I've made improvements in this area, I have so much further to go. I have so many things I need to work on. And I think the ultimate message of Advent, in my opinion, is that we need to love God we need to love people. It's so clear in Scripture. I read that passage earlier. Um, 
you know, just talking about how uh, like Jesus was replying to the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, and he made it very clear. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love people. That is the message of Advent. I mean, obviously we have hope, we have peace, we have joy, but the greatest of these is love. And I mean, when we go back, I said I was going to go back to it, and I'm going to wrap up with this scripture. I'm going to read it one more time because it's such a beautiful passage on love. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anchored. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I was like a child. And when I became a man, I put away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I say choose love, right? But it's a constant daily thing that we have to continue to choose over and over again. And so just like Josh says about joy, love is also something that needs to be cultivated, right? Love is something that takes work. It's something that if we give up on it or if we just do it for like one week and then we you know, we get right back into the way we used to live, it's not going to do anything to change you. It's not going to do anything to change your community. I think of all the people that set a, a really great New Year's resolution, right? It's like, I'm going to set a New Year's resolution. I'm going to go to the gym, right? And the gyms start to fill up January 1st. And they're just, I mean, they're full for like two and a half, three straight weeks. And then people start to just, oh, I'll take the day off. I'll take the next day off. And, and then by like mid-February, it's back to normal. You know, it's empty again. And I think it's the same way with, with love. Like we can, we can leave this place and we can and say, hey, this is something I need to work on. And you can start working on it. But if you don't constantly remind yourself that this is something you need to actively work on in your life, it's going to be just like those people that go to the gym for three weeks in January and then stop, right? Like you're, you're not going to 
change anyone. You're not going to change yourself. You're not going to change the world, right? But we can change the world if, as a church, we choose to start living in love. And when we do that, like I said before that sin is what separates us from God. And then we just read a passage and said nothing can separate us from God. So I know that sounds like a, a contradiction there, but one thing I want to clarify is this, that that passage is talking about nothing can like bring a full separation. Nothing can terminate your relationship with God. Nothing in this world can cause God to end his relationship with you, right? But when we do choose sin over love, when we do choose anything over love, we choose not to act in love, in that moment, we are choosing, we are actively saying, I'm going to let this thing get between me and God. I'm going to let this thing cause distance between me and God. And if you want to grow closer to him, you have to choose love. And at least three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing another song, and uh, we'll be done for the day. God, thank you for what your word says about love. Thank you that even though we're so bad at it sometimes, I, I thank you that your love never fails. I thank you that you love us no matter what. I thank you that nothing can separate us from you, that we always have you in our lives. And, and God, I pray that we would learn to love people the way that you love them. I pray that we would learn to love you the way you love us. And, and God, take that commandment seriously. Love God and love people. Thank you for teaching us from your word. And I pray that we would be able to um, just practice this, this, uh, this idea of choosing to love people every single day and not lose sight of that. In Jesus' name, amen.